This is the Japan What Podcast, episode 103, Dementia Bowels, coming at you from the Toshi Hisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan, the armpit of Asia. It's me, Matt Bigelow, and from MatthewPMBigelow.com. That's where you can go to get show notes, donation ideas, photos related to the show, and more. And I am having what you are having, Mr. Listener, or Ms. Listener. Ah, big old crazy idea today. Big old crazy world out there. You know the Twilight Zone? That crazy show where people would like break their glasses and it would be ironic because they're in a library and now they can't read. Wow. Um, you ever wonder what the people on the Twilight Show watch on TV? Who are the people that the Twilight Show people watch on TV? The answer is everything that's happening in 2023 is far weirder than anything that's going on inside of the Twilight Zone or the Scary Door if you're a Futurama person. But this is the Japan Web Podcast and we cover everything, not everything, but we cover um, AI trends from the Tokyo perspective, odd items, news analysis from Japan, as well as the rising conflict in the Indo-Pacific. These are trends that uh, most other podcasts don't cover. And if you go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, you can get all the links and more that I prepare for the show and often don't get to. Um, and it's you don't have to weed through all the stupid, uh, the prime minister's going to meet so-and-so and talk about this and that. And, you know, you never really know what happens. Or it, it, it parses through all the crap and it gives you a collection, like a newsletter in a way, of uh, interesting news related to those fields that I mentioned just now. Um, I, I was coming across, I'm going to introduce something a little bit different today. The, um, the, uh, the, the Hawaiian wild, wildfires, um, uh, wildfires tore through a nice ancient piece of, uh, Hawaii, of, uh, uh Hawaii uh, or Maui. I don't know how they talk. So I'm just going to talk like a foreigner because nobody in Japan says my name accurately. Nobody ever in Japan has been like, Oh, hello, Mr. Matthew P. Tobigalow. Pleasant meeting you here today. It's like, ah, my should be that big at all. How are you? Like, that's just the way everybody talks. People will say, that's racist. It's like, no, nah, that's just how everybody talks. If you go teach in a junior high school, which I did for six months in 2007, um, all of the kids are saying, I want to meet you after school. 40 people in a classroom learning to talk like that. And then you talk like that and like liberals are like, hey, you're a racist. Like, dude, that's the way 125 million people are learning to talk. Or is the population down 120 million now? But anyways, we have these fires in Hawaii. And some people say are saying they're space lasers. It's always a good idea. Always toss out the crazy stuff I say. I mean, like toss out meaning throw away, but also bring it to the table. Why not? Um, but other people were saying, well, why doesn't Japan have all of these crazy wildfires? Um, and there's some ideas going back and forth on, on Twitter or X. It's weird. I don't, I think about it. As, I, I'm fine with it being X, but I don't think about the, the, the Twitter site as being X, you know, the, the branding is just too strong. I wonder if they could ever change it. Mr. Musk and his WEF handler. Um, 
but the, I think the answer why is there, there can be certain parallels between Hawaii and Japan, island culture, uh, lots of trees, nature, and, and the list goes on. Same with Canada. You can't really compare them, but like lots of trees and wildfires, California, all these places that have seen rampant wildfires of late. And people are like, well, why not Japan? It's like, well, Japan's very well maintained as a country. There's, there's always some sort of natural disaster looming on the horizon. So over the, over the thousands of years, it kind of trained people to take care of their stuff, to minimize damage. But I think the, um, the main reason why we don't have such uh, fires in Japan is because we don't have the crazy eco-cult activists in Japan. When you look at the SDGs and the ESGs and all of like the, the climate stuff, that exists very heavily in Japan, but it's like in the upper echelons of society, like the C-suites of corporations or high-level discussions between um, senior diplomats in Japan and in and other countries. But once you get down to like the regular people, you don't really have like this whole uh, eco-warrior culture in Japan at all. And unfortunately, what a lot of these activists do these days is that they supply the demand they so crave. So, or um, firebugs or arsonists will, you know, they, they, they'll find a way to, to light something on fire knowing that it will be blamed on something like climate change. So in Alberta, Canada, there were something like 650 fires. 500 of those fires were lit by arsonists, apparently. That just doesn't really happen. That level of arson doesn't really exist in Japan because we don't have these eco-cult activists roaming around in the midsections of all of our demographics and societies and positions and places like that. Um, and in combination with it being well-maintained, we don't often see this type of uh, chaos ripping through and, and you know, ineptitude on, be, on behalf of the government. So it's pretty obvious if you look at what happened in Hawaii, um, big uh, 70 mile an hour winds or hundred kilometer hour winds. Let's just say not enough warning. Um, the whole historic part of Maui gets torn apart by fires. A lot of electric cars there now too, right? So those are going to blow up and I'm, I'm pro electric car, but let's be honest. If you have a giant fire ripping through a town and the town is mostly filled with electric cars, you're going to expect a quite an extra Instead of just like a gas tank exploding, battery fires are a whole different story. Um, and it just seems like it's a combination of psychotic ineptitude, uh, which we're seeing more and more in the West with all the leadership, not being able to do anything. Uh, and in combination with eco-cult arsonists and types like those, it just doesn't exist in Japan. People are, there's a lot of, lot of people walking around in Japan not doing much. I will be honest with you. But ineptitude is not something you often find in positions of, of of power or there's enough of a culture there that's going to kick in and, and take over when such things happen. Not all the time, but enough to prevent such events like the Hawaii thing from happening in general. Now, I was just looking up online and um, it says, what are the causes of most fires in Japan? And this is from 2020, so it's recent enough. Uh, and this is from Statistica.com, and it's just a one-sentence thing. And it says, room cigarettes were the most common known cause for deadly house fires, with room heaters and electrical appliances also posing a high risk. Um, that's for house fires. 
but what is the cause for most fires in Japan? Um, it doesn't really have like this whole, since rainfall or downfall is usually accompanied thunderstorms, lightning is rarely a fire cause in Japan. The occurrence of fires is highly correlated to human activities in this densely populated country. Um, anyway, so are wildfires common in Japan? Uh, in 2.3 kilohectares of land has burned so far in 2022. This total is unusually high compared to the previous years going back to 2001. Uh, the most fires recorded in a year was 2009. Um, anyways, it goes on and on and on. So I'm just saying that I'm not seeing a whole bunch of like a wildfire catastrophe in the statistics for Japan fires. And I think it's for those reasons that I mentioned. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing to think about. Why wouldn't some pattern that's repeated in Canada and the U.S. and other places around the world not be repeated in Japan? Well, maybe the, the human activity element um, is quite different in Japan compared to those other countries because we don't have the crazy eco-cultists running around thinking that the world is on fire and we're all going to die. That's kind of a gaijin thing. And if you ask most Japanese people about it, they will look at you like, that's an idea, I guess. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. But it's not like they go around thinking about it. They don't. Let's move on to strange products. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. Um, this one comes to us from not Sora News 24. I'm weaning myself off of the hate read. You ever find that? I watch like execution videos sometimes on Twitter. You kind of get addicted to it. Like, I wonder how this guy's going to die. It's not really healthy. Same thing with Sora News. Osaka Expo. This comes to us from Sora News, by the way. Sora News 24 via japantoday.com. And I'll be posting pictures of this, of these horrible products too. Matthew PM Bigelow.com. We have the Expo coming up in 2025. No one knows what it means anymore. When I think about like the uh, expos of the past or like the technology shows of the past, you imagine things like Tesla or air shows or some sort of displays of, of giant machines and everything like that. But now, for the most part, human activity for technology is relegated to the wireless world. So it's like, here's my device that transmits wireless frequencies. And I don't really know what these expos are supposed to be doing. Um, but we all know now that it's just going to be promoting inclusivity, diversity, uh, SDGs, and, and like bugs and things like that. That's basically where all of these major um, conglomerate shows are going because it just doesn't have the appeal that it once had. And most people can find everything they want on their own terms now, and they don't really need to be wooed and wowed by exhibitions at tech shows when they're constantly being wooed and wowed by the algorithms on their smartphones. So um, anyway, so we have this expo going on in Osaka, and most people think it's going to be a total flop. But at Osaka Expo releases 1,000 yen coins, but they will go on sale for 13,000 yen. What? That's right. It's worth 10 bucks. But you're going to pay 140 bucks for it. Ridiculous. On August 7th, the Osaka City Min kicked off the production of commemorative 1,000 yen coins for the upcoming Osaka Kansai World Expo in 2025. One side of the coin has a full color image of a man made island, Yumeshima, Dream Island. 
where the event will take place. On the flip side is the somewhat intestinal logo for Expo 2025 embossed with tiny grooves that it reflects in a light and array of colors. The Mint will produce 50,000 of these coins, each assigned with a value of 1,000 yen. They will sell for 13,800 yen, including tax. Um, it's kind of ugly. It's a ripoff. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think anybody, it does look bad. It does look horrible. It does look like something a bunch of people from the ESG, DEI. What's this uh, called? Uh, progressive kitsch. All of those, uh, it's a term for the art that stems from the progressive world where it kind of looks like a, a mix, a mishmash of um, gay pride imagery and Microsoft Word art combined together. Or, you know, when Google says, oops, we can't find the page and there's like a goofy, like one dimensional elephant. Or when Facebook is like, would you like to post? And it shows some like really fat person wearing a purple sweater and pink pants at a computer thinking. It's that level of low resolution imagery. I mean, just in terms of concept. But it, so it's a mixture of Microsoft Word art and uh, gay pride imagery, progressive kitsch. And the Osaka 25, 2025 coins uh, kind of have this progressive kitsch thing about them where it looks like some sort of uh, uh, slide that you would see at a mid-level corporate uh, presentation uh, covering some sort of investment opportunity that's not going to happen. So uh, anyways, if you're interested in the Expo 2025 coins, just go over to MatthewPMBigelow.com and get yourself a tuna. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. We're going to take a look at the economy here. Um, let's go. Here we go. This comes to us from the Japan News by the Yomiri. I worked there for a couple of years. Full disclosure. But this is from GG Press, which they publish because... I don't know why. The estimated number of foreign visitors to Japan in July rose by around 16-fold from a year earlier to 2.3 million people, or 77.6% of the level of the same month in 2019 before the COVID pandemic. Uh, in June, the number of visitors to the country totaled around 2 million people. Excluding visitors from mainland China, the number of such visitors in July came to 103.4% of the 2019 level or a 3.4% increase, excluding mainland China. The figures signaled a strong recovery in demand for travel to Japan, among other people in East Asia, such as South Korea and the United States. Well, if you look at the actual numbers, uh, it's, it's like China, Taiwan, South Korea, and then fifth on the list is America. So I've noticed that in the past 10 years, there's been a much of a decrease of Westerners, uh, white people, visiting Japan. They still do, uh, but not quite in the numbers that they used to compared to the amount of like uh, Middle Easterners I see or Muslims that I see or Indians that I see or Chinese families that I see. It's, it's like this progressive thing that happens a year on year where, oh, there's just a few more non-Western people, tourists coming to Japan now. And 
I think it's because of the economies over there in the Western world and the rise of inflation and the cost of living. And you see all these other countries that don't adopt this SDG, DEI lifestyle into their economies, and they do relatively well. But as soon as you see countries kind of go the, the progressive route, uh, the first thing that after a few years, there's just not enough money for people to go around because they're too busy paying their carbon taxes uh, in order to, to go anywhere else. So you, you, instead of going to Japan for a vacation, you just pay carbon taxes and that makes the pollution go down where you're from. But you have to pay more of those taxes every year because the pollution isn't down far enough. Sound Orwellian? Um, these people that just imagine this future green life through taxation and they keep voting for it, and then they go, where's all my money? It's like, yeah, you're voting for it. That's what you're, That's the future you're envisioning for yourself. So enjoy it. Get on the sailboat to the diversity land, which is nowhere. It's like some person in the middle of a field, middle of a desert, leading you what you think to be towards an oasis, but that person is crazy, and they're just walking around in circles. Uh, craziness. But um, I don't see a lot of more tourists in Tokyo. I think the numbers are down significantly in Tokyo. Maybe, maybe because it's just too hot. I live in a lot of um, touristy... I live near a lot of touristy areas in Tokyo. I live in central Tokyo. And I used to see the Starbucks line at the Shinjuku Gyoen, which is a national park you pay to get in. There used to be a lineup of 100 people out there. These days, the lineup is gone. There's still some tourists walking around, mind you, but it's not busy. It's not busy, busy with tourists. So I wonder if the tourists are instead going down to Kansai. I mean, in terms of Asian culture, uh, Kansai, Osaka, Kyoto, um, and Nara, all of those areas with the Buddhism history and the temples and all of that, it has a, a much co closer connection to Asian history um, than a lot of what's going on in Tokyo. Tokyo does as well, but it's it's just a, like a big modern city. So after the pandemic where everybody's kind of traveling, they might feel like they want some culture uh, as opposed to some shopping trips after going through the rigmarole and getting, you know, 37 COVID jabs, making it out on the other side. Instead of going shopping, maybe they just want to go pray at a temple. There's some sort of uh, internal bell ringing in their head saying, we got to go pray. <laughs> And it gets interpreted to like, hey, let's just go to Japan, check out Kyoto. Uh, but yeah, so I'm not seeing a massive increase in Tokyo. I could be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. But I'm wondering where the tourists are going and what type of tourism is coming to Japan these days. Because on a lot of the forums that I see, there's a lot more activity going down in Osaka and Kansai area as opposed to Tokyo. It's still in Tokyo, just not quite as what it used to be. And... Um, the other news is um, for the economy. Japan, April to June, GDP grows 6%, fastest since 2020, but outlook murky. Um, this is the economy, but it also ties into an idea I have for war. So we'll just segue into that. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. And we'll segue out of the guest intro. Here we go. The economy segue, I mean. Hey. 
Japan's economy grew at a stronger than expected annualized real 6.0% in the April to June quarter on robust auto exports and a revival in inbound tourism, though an unexpected drop in private consumption cast a pall over the outlook. Preliminary government data showed Tuesday. This comes to us from Kyoto News. This, to me, is probably one of the most significant reports of the year um, because it shows that the local people, me included, are suffering because of the rising inflation and the value of the yen has collapsed by 50% over the past three years or thereabouts, 30 to 50%, depending on how you look at it. Um, but the economy is doing better than ever. And the stock markets are doing better than ever. Well, Warren Buffett is just doing great in Japan right now. But everybody is spending less in an economy that's driven by consumption, apparently. What does this mean? Uh, so let's read on. Real gross domestic product. It's real gross. It's real gross. Real gross domestic product adjusted for inflation increased for the third straight quarter, marking the fastest growth since October, December in 2020. It increased 1.5% from the previous quarter. The data beat the average market forecast of a 2.41% expansion. Japan's economy expanded to $3.9 trillion, returning to its pre-pandemic level and reaching its biggest size ever in real terms. Quote, domestic demand was unexpectedly weak despite the strong headline GDP number. Experts were robust. Exports were robust, but imports fell priorly reflecting slackening demand at home, said Saisei Sakai, a senior economist at Mizuho Research and Technologies. Private consumption dipped 0.5% as rising prices for everyday goods hit consumer spending and durable goods sales declined, more than offsetting strong demand for services such as dining out and hotel stays. Um, the slight increase came despite an earlier Bank of Japan survey showing that companies have bullish investment plans for the current business year. Japanese companies are ramping up investment on digital and green transformations, as well as an automation to cope with acute labor shortages. Japan will not be able to do these things. They suck at it. Weak domestic demand bodes ill for the economy at a time when aggressive interest rate hikes in the United States and Europe have raised concern about a global economic reception. And it goes on and on and on and on. Now, the 6% increase, despite a decrease in consumer spending, to me, is insane. Uh, but I have an idea, and is some, I'm doing segments in segments in segments. This is the inception version of Japan What Podcast. In the economy, we have the war. And in the war, we have high or not high. High. Or not high. I believe, and I might be high or not high, that because the Japanese government is unable to find the funds to boost its military expenditures and develop this next-gen technology to fight China in 2026, 2027, what my idea is, the Japanese government is saying, sorry, Japanese people, you suck right now. We don't know what to do with you. Um, so you're just going to suffer. But we're going to allow this yen to really stagnate. I mean, times were good, Japanese people, but now not so good for you. 
And we're going to allow our major corporations that rely on exports to just flood the world with Japanese products. And then they will bring in a huge amount of yen back into Japan. And that way we can tax those companies and invest that taxation into war development. Okay, a little nutty, higher, not high. But the government did say that companies investing in war technologies would be exempt from certain things. What are those certain things? Let me just look it up for a second. Yeah, I have it. This is from Reuters uh, March 16th, 2023, from the article Insight. Japan battles to persuade its big brands to join military build-out. This is just a quick quote from the article. The government is preparing legislation that includes raising profit margins on military gear from a few percent to as much as 15% and the provision of state-owned factories that companies can use to expand production risk-free. Some are concerned that might not be enough. So the idea behind the higher not high segment for today is, is the government willing to keep yen super low, then flood giving Japan's major companies that rely on exports or international trade the opportunity to rake in untold amounts of profits. And then the Japanese government says, see what we did for you? Now you're going to have to do something for us. Lucky for you, we've already provided the space and a risk-free environment for you to take some of that money that you really made during the low yen, which we kept there, and uh, give some kickbacks to us. <laughs> Pay the big guy 10%. Uh, is that what's going on? Is the government learning from Joe Biden? I, I That's my higher, not high segment. But the idea that the government can just print their way into military spending after printing so much money already with the yen so low, I'm not sure if they will be able to do that. So they're probably thinking about another scheme where um, it would be incentive-based and uh, kind of like pushing people into like a, a position where they can't refuse something. Like, hey, we kept that yen pretty low for a few years. Look at all that money you made. And uh, look at this factory we have built for you to use to provide the companies, uh, the, the country with the war effort it needs. Is that high or is that not high? High. Or not high. A couple of other things. Um, Ex-Prime Minister Tato Aso, who was also the financial minister and is like uh, his grandfather or father was the prime minister of Japan during World War II or around that time. Um, anyways, he's like a super big wig in Japanese politics. Pals with Abe when Abe was still alive. They were, they were kind of peas in a pod. He went down to Taiwan. And he said, uh, we got to fight for Taiwan. And so there's this thing with a lot of uh, traditionalists in Japan where because Taiwan likes Japan and in Japan's expansion in the East Asia co-prosperity, co-prosperity sphere uh, leading up to World War II and all that, Taiwan was one of the places where Japan had a overall positive impact Um they needed the help at the time, and there's still really good ties between the two countries to this day. Yes, I'm calling Taiwan a country. I'm not calling it Taipei. Um, 
so there's he's a deeply conservative person, Mr. Asso. Uh, but there's also a lot of people in, in Japan that kind of believe that Taiwan and Japan are these two countries that really share similar values and they need to be defended with each other. Um, and so Asso and the prime minister of um, Taiwan, uh, Tsai, prime minister Tsai or president Tsai, believe that they need to deepen the relationship. So this just comes to us. I'm just bringing this in because it's showing high-level diplomatic talks, the results of which, between um, Japanese and Taiwanese figures. Uh, this comes to us from GG Press, August 9th. This is August 17th today, so it's a little bit old. Former Prime Minister Taro Aso and Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday agreed to deepen ties between Japan and Taiwan. During their hour-long meeting at the presidential office in Taipei, Aso, vice president of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, and Tsai also shared the recognition that a Taiwan conflict is possible in light of China's military threat and economic coercion. Uh, yeah, the military threat and economic coercion. Now let's all just do business all the time with China. Uh, that's fine. Um, Aso told Tsai that Japan and Taiwan should continue to help one another when needed and share joy with one another during the good times. Uh, prior to his meeting with Tsai, Aso also held talks with Taiwanese Vice President Lai Ching-te. Thanking Aso for visiting Taiwan, Lai stressed that Japan has been a trusted national security partner historically. And blah, blah, blah. It kind of goes on. I don't need to spend too much time. I just want to put it on the record that it's there. Very interesting. And then it says, uh, Aso's fight for Taiwan remark in line with official view, lawmaker says. So Aso is just not going over there as a private citizen and uh, stirring shit up. Uh, they're, they're establishing high-level diplomatic you know, ties, it seems. Ties with Tai. That would be her podcast. Welcome to Ties with Tai. I, uh, Taiwan, Tai, believe Ties with Tai. Last one from the Japan Times. Uh, Japan and U.S. to jointly develop hypersonic missile interceptor. That's a misleading thing, isn't it? The hypersonic missile. Wow, we're finally getting some. No, they're interceptors. Oh, oh. Japan and the United States will jointly develop a new type of missile to intercept hypersonic projectiles being developed by such countries as North Korea, China, and Russia. Too late. They have already developed them. <laughs> Prime Minister Fumisho Kishida and U.S. President Joe Biden total stooges, are expected to agree on the plan during their bilateral talks at the Camp David retreat near Washington on Friday. When, when was this? August 14th, so just a couple of days ago. Um, hypersonic missiles, which travel at a top speed of over Mach 5, uh, are hard to shoot down and track by radar. The new missiles will be designed to bring down hypersonic projectiles before their landing phase. Some types of hypersonic missiles are capable of flying on irregular trajectories just before landing to fend off the interceptors. Uh, Japan has originally planned to address the threat of hypersonic weapons by improving its ground self-defense forces type 03 medium-range surface-to-air guided missiles, which mainly target incoming aircraft, and by using maritime self-defense forces standard missile 6 interceptors. Um, and it goes on and on and then. Man, Japan can barely get a, a rocket off the ground now. If you look at the Chinese space missions that are going on on the on the dark side of the moon, they're kicking ass. And it looks like um, Russia has just totaled a huge amount of American-supplied Ukraine artillery barrages with hypersonic missiles as well. Uh, 
I, I get the feeling that we're really playing catch up, catch up in the West, um, like a bunch of tomatoes that have just been smashed. And I'm not, there's so much bureaucracy and Japan isn't prone to this activism, which just bogs everything down. But Japan is really prone to middle mid-level managers just gumming up the system and making sure that nothing gets through until they've had to stall a project for years and years and years so that they can guarantee an income for themselves, which makes sense. They're selfish bastards, but that's what you do uh, if you're in a corporate environment and you can't rise high enough in the ranks to achieve any dreams. You just settle into a middle-level management position and gum everything up and extract as much as you can from the company and send it on down to your family so you can feed them some fish in the evening, right? Isn't that what most people do? I think so. And that's the economy and the war and the stories and the high or not high for today. Die for the war. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. Self-driving cars are a thing that are there, but not there. They're too hard to incorporate, but Tesla's doing it. Anyways, Society 5.0 is, that's from the Japanese government, and this is their hodgepodge idea of combining as much technology as possible to make kind of like this manga, Astro Boy, anime future uh, realized in Japan. It's not really happening. There's not enough talent in Japan. And how do you expect a country with a diminishing return on um, uh, biological investment? I mean, birth rate, plummeting birth rate, rising uh, death rate. How do you expect all, and you know, very little women participation in the workforce. Uh, we need the women to be CEOs and moms. And then we need the, all of the kids that are fewer and fewer every year to develop all of the AI and also go to war. And then we also need these companies that don't know how to do much. They just maintain what's then they've been there before, but they don't really produce anything new. We need them to produce new stuff and then it will just be great. You know? So I'm, but they're trying. Let's take a look at this article. This comes to us from the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. Daycare operator in Japan turns to tech to monitor children's health and protect lives. I'll be posting a screenshot of their dashboard onto MatthewPMBigelow.com where you can go to send us some traffic and other things, donations and more. Chiba, a daycare operator 
in Chiba is turning to technology to keep track of children's health and locations, following fatal heat stroke cases where toddlers had been left on buses for hours. This happened during COVID, where uh, like a 75-year-old bus driver just got off the bus when left some kid in the bus in the middle of July or in the middle of summer, and the kid basically cooked like a fried egg, just cooked his insides out and died. Uh, High Flyers, which runs 11 authorized, as a father of two, it's a nightmare scenario. I just, I can't get over that type of recklessness and how 75-year-old people are just taking care of kids and you don't know who they are. Woo. High Flyers, which runs 11 authorized daycare centers in Chiba Prefecture, conducted a month-long test of wristbands that monitor the wearer's heart rate, blood pressure, and pulse wave on 30 children aged 0 to 5. The child's stress levels are then displayed on a screen as numerical values derived from the wristband data. Abnormal stress levels for each age group were determined in consultation with a contract pediatrician, and if the figures displayed hit that threshold for five minutes or more, an email alert is sent to the daycare staff's smartphones. Okay, so now the daycare staff are just looking at their smartphones all day, aren't they? The the, the technology will handle it. That's what happens, by the way, unless you're careful. Everyone will just go, yeah, we'll just look at our smartphones. The technology will handle it. Without the proper training, that's what happens. On the first day of the test on July 11, 30 children at Kito's Childcare Sakuragi in the city of Chiba's Wakaba Ward were seen going through their regular day, taking naps and eating snacks, wearing the wristbands all the while, the devices that had cloth covers for safety and aesthetic reasons. Some children showed off their wristbands, telling the staff they were cool. These are cool! When the staff later checked the security camera footage of children with increased stress levels, it showed them being pushed by another child or witnessing another child being scolded by a daycare teacher. (laughs) Okay. Shocker. The facility examined how to deal with the situation when the data indicated indicated a dangerous state as well as abnormal stress figures unique to each child. Okay. Right away, this is my vision from this. This will be used by mid-level managers to increase their number and then interfere with um, the daily going-ons of people working on the front lines. Children are going to be pushing each other from time to time, and learning to deal with that stress is just a part of life. Um, Also, being scolded by a teacher is just a part of life. But if the mid-level manager sees that, and now they can find a way to improve their standing inside of the company by writing everybody up and producing documents based on the AI, what you end up having is this impressive, oppressive um, digital layer that smushes down the people that they're trying to lift up. Uh, because you don't have enough people trained in the ways of using the AI. You just have people trained in the ways of manipulating the data to suit their own needs and purposes. Um, The daycare, again, I worked in an AI position at a telecommunications company in Japan, one of the top three for five years, 2015 to 2020. All I did every day for 40 hours a week with AI engineers and and VPs uh, in prominent positions is just research AI, IoT solutions, and present them to them. And if they didn't like it, I would find out why and then find out what they would like to see. And I reiterated it, and I used the AI methodologies based off of Kai Fu Lee's um, book, AI Superpowers, to develop these strategies, and it largely worked. And then COVID came, and I lost my job. 
The daycare operator moved to introduce the wearable devices after a fatal case of heat stroke in Fukuoka Prefecture in 2021 and a similar case in Shizuoka Prefecture in 2022, where toddlers died after being left on pickup buses for hours in the summer. At the one of High Flyers daycare facilities, one child briefly went missing in October 2021 when they were taken to a park. Uh, and it kind of goes on from there. So uh, I will be posting a screenshot of the devices uh, to com, And there's also like a video that they have that I can probably embed, but the link will be there anyways. So go and check it out. Now, if you think about it, why not just have the bracelets on the kids when they get on and off the buses? Do they need to have the bracelets on them at all times at the school? I mean, logically, you would just say, okay, when the kids are on the bus, they put on these bracelets and it monitors their heart rate and body temperature. And um, then you'd be able to understand if a kid gets too hot, you'd find out where he is and then go get him before he melts his brains out on a bus that, that he was left behind on. You don't really need to have this uh, giant window of loophole exploitation by manipulative middle managers that sink into positions in life and, we learn that Machiavellian approaches to management style uh, ensures their long stand in the company. So I'm not sure about this company, and I don't think that they think about these things. They just kind of go, oh, look, the technology in a dashboard. Let's use it all the time on the children, and we'll get in less trouble uh, without thinking of the uh, what's being introduced. I often think about this in terms of Joseph Conrad the author of Heart of Darkness. He was an avid sailor. I could also compare this to something else. And he loved robes and sails. And when he saw the steamships coming along, he viewed them as gaudy, but he also viewed them as a threat because instead of having uh, salesmen uh, on board or people who were knowledgeable at knots, you had these big clunky steam devices and you had engineers with their tools and their, their screwdrivers and, and their materials on board. And it completely changed the vibe of the ship uh, feel. And then you, you expand that 10, 20 years, 30, 40 years, 50, 60 years. Now you see sailboats are a recreational device for the most part, where steam took over the entire oceans uh, because of its technological advantages. But uh, when you see this type of AI and wireless devices being put on your kids as well, you also have to think about the types of people that are going to be monitoring those devices and the types of uh, IT and engineers who are going to be collecting all that data from your children and putting it somewhere. Is that data secure? Oh, of course it's secure. But then somebody pushes a button and no, sorry, it's not secure anymore. It was on a thumb drive and somebody left it at a bar, uh, which happens a lot. The, the invitation of the technology is also an invitation of the people who operate that technology. So you might have like the, the point of a V be the uh, bracelet on your child. But as the parameters expand from that V, the bottom of the V to the top of the V, that represents the amount of people and layers that exist in order to make the bracelet operable on your child. And so the idea of just having this magical bracelet on your kid is a hearsay, it's a fallacy, and it only opens up, if you're not careful, more room for oppressive management styles to 
manipulate staff on the front lines. Uh, I believe most middle managers are jealous of frontline people because frontline people do the jobs and mid-level managers just kind of operate in Excel sheet. The AI should be replacing the mid-level managers, in my opinion, by far, rather than the other kids. So you could take the temperature of the kids and take all that other monitoring data and try to figure out a way to replace the mid-level managers so that you just have more efficiency within the company instead of more hogwash. That would be my idea for society. 5.0. We got more coming up. Just don't need to take a quick break. Where is Society 5.0? The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0. A technology-based, human-centered society. Industrial revolution will raise our standards. A um, couple of other things. Panasonic ventures into India with automation and cutting edge technology. This is because India is rapidly growing from the bottom up and the middle out. Um, but they can essentially build new factories in India and not have to rely on legacy systems, which is kind of an interesting idea. Next, Mitsui OSK Lines has announced that the second of Japan's first two natural liquid natural gas-fueled ferries, the Sunflower. Very interesting. And uh, MOL Group companies uh, are picked for key roles in Arctic research, vessel development, and operation. That That's just kind of using some of this technology within the Society 5.0 field for exploration outside of Japan. But did you know about the Hiroshima AI process? The what? Yes, yes, yes. The Hiroshima AI process. This came from the recent G7 meeting in Hiroshima, and it's about generative AI and the Hiroshima AI process. Now, this is from a big old, big old PDF that uh, the government likes to release. And uh, technically, it's a 40-page PDF, and everybody reads it. No, they don't. But on page 28, I think it gets into what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Just let me I'm just going to read an excerpt from the PDF, and this comes to us from the G7 2023 Hiroshima Summit. And this is like uh, everybody agreeing. and in the Society 5.0 jingle or song or promo promo tune that is there that I play, it says the fourth industrial revolution. That's World Economic Speak, World Economic Forum speak directly quoting basically Klaus Schwab, who wrote the book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And he also talks a lot about stakeholder capitalism, which means um, people that do investment, but also consider themselves responsible for the ethics and moralities of a certain cause to make that investment happen. Basically, what happens is a lot of the um, think tanks sponsored by the World Economic Forum work on the sidelines on G7 summits. And at some point, the World Economic Forum people meet with the government people at a digital forum, and the World Economic Forum people transfer over a barrage of vocabulary into 
the government system that then repeats and essentially builds out, ideally, for the World Economic Forum, the envisioned plans that are being developed by the think tanks of the World Economic Forum. And this is the exact case that we see today in the Hiroshima AI, what was it called? The Hiroshima AI process. This is just a, a quote from the G7 document, and it'll be posted at matthewpmbigelow.com. We, uh, we look forward to an inclusive multi-stakeholder dialogue on digital issues, including on internet governance, through relevant fora, including the OECD Global Forum on Technology. We commit to further advancing multi-stakeholder approaches to the development of standards of AI respectful of legally binding frameworks and recognize the importance of procedures that advance transparency, openness, fair process, impartiality, privacy, and inclusiveness. That basically negates everything that you just heard before to promote responsible AI. I don't know what responsible AI is, but it's basically what the G7 wants it to be. And they want to openness means they see you. Transparency means they tell you what they want from you. Fair processes means it's lawyers that have been established to tell you what those processes are. Impartiality means that you can't argue with them. Uh, Privacy and inclusive privacy means they get to keep what they want. And inclusiveness means that they can then incorporate any idea that they want to promote their end means while stamping a boot on your face for the rest of eternity. It goes on from there. We stress the importance of international discussions on AI governance and interoperability between AI governments frameworks. AI governance. You hear that? While we recognize that approaches and policy instruments to achieve the common vision and goal of trustworthy AI may vary across G7 members. We support the development of tools for trustworthy AI through multi-stakeholder international organizations and encourage the development and adoption of international technical standards, that means we tell you what to do, in standards of development organizations through multi-stakeholder processes. How many times did you just hear the word multi-stakeholder processes in terms of AI governance? I'm not going to read the whole document because it's 40 pages long. I didn't actually look up. I was looking up uh, just some keywords that I wanted to find there. How often does stakeholder appear in this document? 40 pages, the word 16, 16 times. So it appeared most in that uh, part that I was just quoting right there. looks like I found the good part. Anyways, that's about it for Society 5.0 for today. just so you know, everybody says, we're meeting at Hiroshima, legacy, blah, 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 beautiful place, we're did, 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 international star, na, 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 na. Then on the sidelines, they're like, yo, World Economic Forum, what have you got on AI governance? And the World Economic Forum is like, well, first you eat the bugs, and then you have nothing and you like it. And basically what that means is we take multi-stakeholder frameworks and make people do it because we tell you what to do as governments and then people do it because if they don't they lose their money and then we make their own money that's that's the vision folks it sucks it's crazy i'm not the one saying it it's them that are saying it and you only get it here by the way where else you get this nowhere that's where 
The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial like intelligence in Maui. will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving. Let's take a look at Weird Corner. Weird Corner. We're leading heavily on the Mainichi for today. Japan's national daily since 1922. Oh, no, we're not. We were using other ones. I originally titled this episode, episode 103, Dementia Bowels. Interesting title. I didn't make it up because this is a news-based thing. August 13th, 2023. Less frequent bowel movements... Those would be poopies. Signal higher risk of dementia. Japan researchers. Japan researchers. Tokyo. A reduction in the frequency of bowel movements indicates a greater risk of developing dementia. According to research results announced by the National Cancer Center Japan and others. I'm going to screenshot this toilet paper. Nice. A study of over 40,000 people concluded that patients with dementia often have cases of constipation. The study involved about 19,000 men and 23,000 women between the ages of 50 and 79 living in Akita, Nagano, Ibaraki, Kochi, and Okinawa prefectures in 2000 and 2003. The participants were asked about their usual frequency of defecation in the condition of their stools. My stool is mushy. Researchers followed up with the group until 2016, comparing the rates of those were assessed as requiring care due to dementia. According to this data, 9.7% of men and 11.7% of women had been diagnosed with dementia. Ever heard about the connection between the mind and the gut? I wonder if that has like some sort of spiritual reference here. Where the mind actually has like a nerve that goes to the gut and like they interact with each other. Me, oh, just, just, just off the top of my dome. My dad died. Not my dad. My granddad, uh, you know, if you're up there, uh, Mr. Ola. My, my son's middle name is Ola after my grandfather on my mom's side, Norwegian captain of the King's Guard, fought in World War II. Uh, he died of dementia, of, uh, Alzheimer's. Analyzing the relationship between the frequency of bowel movements and dementia, the risk of dementia was about 1.8 times higher in men and 1.3 times higher in women who had fewer than three bowel movements a week compared to those who had a bowel movement every day. The less frequent the bowel movements, the greater risk of dementia, trends in the data showed. An analysis, <laughs> anal, an analysis of stool conditions showed that people with hard stools were at a higher risk of developing dementia. Compared to participants who answered they have regular stools, results show the risk of dementia among those with especially hard stools was around 2.2 times higher for men and around 1.8 times greater for women. 
Previous research has shown a relationship between intestinal functioning via stomach bacteria and dementia. Nodie Sawara, a member of the research team and leader of the Division of Cohort Research at the National Cancer Center, Japan's Institute for Cancer Control, pointed out, quote, When stools remain in the intestines for a long time, that affects the activity of stomach bacteria, which causes issues such as inflammation and an increase of oxidative stress throughout the entire body, possibly raising the risk of dementia, end quote. The study was published in a European, uh, European specialist journal. The abstract is accessible at pubmed.ncbi.nlm.nih.gov forward slash 37392635 and slash. Um, and there we go. So I find that when I drink alcohol, I poop a lot. Or when I drink coffee, I poop a lot. Therefore, the more coffee you drink, and the more alcohol you drink, the less dementia thee shalt have. You heard it here first. MatthewPMBigelow.com. Go there. Donate. I didn't plug at all this hour. Why not? Why not come with me on a, on a nice little journey and we can all enjoy the Japan What Podcast. Donate at PayPal.me forward slash JapanWUT. Or download one of those handy podcasting 2.0 apps from the podcast index. It allows the user to send Bitcoin directly from you, your GetAlby wallet, to me on my GetAlby wallet via apps like Fountain, Podverse, CurioCaster, Podfans, and more. Go check it out. It's building on protocols to save the world information from the giant Kraken octopus threat of big tech sucking everything up, putting into it a G7 document that's been supplied to them by the World Economic Forum. One way to fight back. Podcasting 2.0. Download the Podverse app today. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in today. Um, until next time, you found it coming at you from the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. It's been the Japan What Podcast. Until next time, everybody. Matthew PMBigelow.com. Ja mata ne. Yo!